Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, July 12th, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us how the Mickey Mouse floral arrangement came to be outside the Disneyland train station. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that sleep is just a time machine to breakfast. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It did not get enough coffee at breakfast this morning. A little, a little bleary today, which <laughs> reminds me, again, one of my favorite pieces, I believe it's Jerry Seinfeld who did this, is that the problem with Americans is our breakfast. If you think about it, the English have English muffins. The French have French toast. They have good, strong breakfasts that give them identity and a sense of purpose. What do we eat? Scrambled egg, glazed donuts. We're lucky we can make it out of the house. <laughs> I actually had uh, had a really good breakfast yesterday at Cape May Cafe. Did you? Oh, yeah. So it, it's incredible. So it's $25 per person for adults, mm-hmm. but it's this platter that comes with potato barrels because Tater Tots is a trademark name, mm-hmm. um, seasoned ha- hash browns, eggs, bacon, sausage, Mickey Mouse, waffles, French toast, and pancakes. And all you can eat of that. Plus, if you wanted to order a custom omelet, they will bring it to you. Wow. Okay. And does it come with a cot that you can then lie down on next to the I, uh, table? I, I may have fallen asleep in the lobby. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just some comfortable chairs. Just saying. You don't order an Uber because you will be asleep. <laughs> sir, sir, you can't sleep here. Sir, sir. <laughs> I mean, I'm like one, mim- mim- one mimosa away from comatose there. It was amazing. Oof. Wow. Okay. But 25? Well, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. not bad at all. Yeah, okay. not bad at all. It was really good. A lot of fun. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Jay Sloan409, Todd Brown, and Dan Burkhart, and longtime subscribers, Scott Walker, Dan Anderson, and Judith Smith from the UK. Jim, these are the folks who coordinate the Banshee air traffic as you fly through Pandora on Avatar Flight of Passage. And through a complicated system of bioluminescent jellyfish, also signal the whales when it's safe to jump at the end. True story. I wonder how, how one signals a whale. It's like, <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> All right, let's do the news. Folks, mm-hmm. the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, some reopenings of hotels. Uh, this was just announced by Disney this week. So All-Star Music opens September 16th, Port Orleans Riverside, October 14th. Port Orleans French Quarter, October 28th, and All-Star Sports, December 9th, which means by December 9th, all of the hotels in Walt Disney World will have been reopened, and that's because the Poly opens up next week, actually, from this coming Monday, and then Animal Kingdom Lodge on August 26th. So everything will be at full capacity, I would think, by December 9th. And then, Jim, this obviously means, I think, that uh, the park capacity mm-hmm. will be completely full in time for the Christmas holidays. What do you think? First of all, I want to point out that on our last show, I was emphatic about how the French Quarter would open up before Riverside. And so given that on previous shows we acknowledge, give ourselves a pat on the back for getting things wrong, I should point out, I got that wrong. That Riverside is opening on the 14th of October, whereas French Quarter is opening two weeks later. Two weeks later, yeah. That's a little strange. But okay, but I'm... Big enough guy, in fact, with as many glazed donuts and scrambled eggs, I mean, getting bigger all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little surprised by that. Uh, by that too, that must mean that the uh, that they think they're going to have the transportation issues worked out in the next couple of months too. Ooh, okay, optimistic. All right, optimistic. good for them. Optimistic, yeah. 
Also, uh, another sign of increased demand besides the resorts opening, mm-hmm. uh, more Halloween boobash dates have sold out. So the sold out dates right now, the first one, August 10th, mm-hmm. uh, August 17th, also sold out. Then in October, the 5th, the 8th, the 10th, the 12th, the 15th, the 26th, the 29th, and of course, Halloween, the 31st, also sold out. Plus one date in September, September 14th, sold out. Hmm. Yeah, okay. unusual. But that's a lot. And, and Jim, I think this, uh, we can all agree, this means that it all but assures that there will be some sort of Christmas event. No, no doubt. My understanding is we are a week to 10 days out from the announcement. So Awesome. Very good. Also, Jim, I was in the parks every day for the last week. Uh, Hannah was in town bringing mm-hmm. five friends. So I escorted six 20-somethings <laughs> around the parks for six consecutive days. Also paid for all of their food. Oh, okay. For six days, Jim. Yeah, so if anyone knows where I can sell blood, plasma, or how many times, just shoot me a quick email. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So a couple of uh, couple of quick things. Thank you to all the listeners who mm-hmm. said hi while I was in the parks, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there were many times I was walking and you know I was sort of like busy trying to figure out where to go next mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, one of Hannah's friends who doesn't know that I do a podcast mm-hmm. says, Len, why is everyone yelling Schmer's Day? <laughs> anyway, so uh, which is funny, right? But uh, mm-hmm. but the funniest thing was Laurel and I uh, took a break from the kids, and we mm-hmm. were going to Conservation Station one day. Mm-hmm. And you know, to go to Conservation Station in in Little Kingdom, you have to take the Wildlife Express train. Mm-hmm. Well, we missed the train, so there's a train that was sort of going by us as we were as we were you know sort of walking up. And one mm-hmm. of the listeners, and I wish I would have got his name, mm-hmm. yelled out. Schmer's Day, but he did it as the train was passing by. So it was like, Schmer's Day. <laughs> and Laurel turned to me and said, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> wow. Okay. So how long before, you know, aren't there? Schmer's Day. Trying to remember the, dic- the dictionary that announces each year when, when new words have entered the lexicon. You know, yeah, that, it's got to be coming up, right? Got to be. Schmerz is not the word of the year for 2021. I don't know what happened. There you go. Anyway, I, uh, I saw the first Happily Ever After on July 1st, the uh, mm-hmm. the return of it. In the rain, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of funny because it was pouring mm-hmm. on July 1st. I mean, just the entire afternoon. In fact, it's been wet basically every day for the last week, but... It was pouring, and we thought to ourselves, like, there's a reasonably decent chance that this doesn't go off. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up in the Magic Kingdom, got pretty good viewing spots. We happened to see uh, one of the coordinators, you know, for mm-hmm. the show. I'm like, all right, man, you know, what's what's going on here? He's like, dude, there's no way we're not going to run this thing. He actually, I think that his exact that quote was, First show in 15 months? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, All right, good line. Okay. And it, uh, it was great, too, because mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, the show started and, um, you know, the fireworks go off. And you realize, like, once the projections go on the castle and the, mm-hmm. the bold colors and the big lights go on and you see the lighting effect package that goes around the castle, like on the, the trees and the sort of the, the turrets around it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, this is what the park's been missing. It was it was really good. I still don't think Happily Ever After is a great show, mm-hmm. but it was really good to have the fireworks back. And they still included Tink? Did not see Tink on the first day. Okay. It, right. was, it was raining. 
No, no, no. I get that. I, I in fact, I, I would have been a little concerned. You know, if they, yeah, they, they, I didn't they, see it. So, um, and I, I didn't hear the crowd go ooh, like I, you know, if I missed her or something. I, okay. I, I think they just didn't run tank. But we were debating that actually during the show. Like, are they going to run tank? And I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think I was in position where I would have seen something that big and green going overhead. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I didn't. So that was that. Um, mm-hmm. Also managed to ride Rise of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. with the kids and uh so between that and pandora the kids thought those were the two best attractions that they experienced in all of walt disney world Ooh. ended up doing a um a vip tour mm-hmm. actually which i i never do these things because mm-hmm. i don't know it's just it's just it's not my thing right to, mm-hmm. to do vip tours but i ended up doing one uh with jimmy our tour guide who was fantastic we uh ended up seeing 16 attractions in seven hours and that included lunch and our ride back to the hotel. The interesting thing was this was last, I think Friday or Saturday we did the tour. Mm-hmm. And at the time, tour guides were not allowed to eat mm-hmm. with guests or go on rides with guests. But then on Monday, that policy changed. Mm-hmm. So now VIP tour guides can go on um, go on rides and, and eat meals with the, uh, with the guests again. So there's that. Okay. Yeah, 16 attractions in seven, in seven hours, though. I mean, every big attraction in the studios and in Magic Kingdom, uh, including a couple of repeats, mm-hmm. and that includes transportation. So that was really, really good. That was, uh, yeah, so the VIP tour was, was fantastic. I, uh, I I suspect that there is much more demand for VIP tours than they have VIP tour guides right now. Mm-hmm. That's nothing that Jimmy told me, but I just sort of like walking around, seeing how many tour guides were out mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So we didn't use a VIP tour guide to see Happily Ever After, but... You know, they have those uh, lawn areas between the end of Main Street and the Central Hub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you see the number of tour guides standing, there are a number of people wearing plaid mm-hmm. um, in those, you know that that's a good indication of how many tours are happening in the Magic Kingdom. And they were just packed with them. I think we were talking on the last show, but we had a listener asking about arranging for a tour guide on October 1st. And- yep. Given the training you have to go through to be a plaid, I don't, yeah. I don't know how quickly it can ramp up. Yeah, they may be able to in a couple of months, but my my sense is that every single plaid will mm-hmm. be everybody who can give a tour will be giving a tour mm-hmm. on October first. Yeah, so sixty days out, you got to give those. Um, so I mean, kids loved everything. We uh, we went to Boathouse; it was fantastic. Went to La Hacienda; it was fantastic. I think the kids enjoyed literally every meal. There were a couple of things that uh, that didn't work out, so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really difficult to get food in the Magic Kingdom after seven o'clock when there are fireworks. So the return windows, we were happened to be running around the Grand Floridian one night, and we couldn't get a return window for food on mobile order within thirty minutes to an hour anywhere at the Grand Floridian or at the Magic Kingdom. So and the problem with that is this, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're at the Grand Floridian and things are thirty minutes out, there's a certain time you have to leave the Grand Floridian to go to the Magic Kingdom to see the fireworks. Your, your window to get the food can't be within 30 minutes of the fireworks because you won't see the fireworks right from the Magic Kingdom if you have to get in the Magic Kingdom. Likewise, if you're actually in the Magic Kingdom, all the food's like an hour out, which means that if you, if you know you're hungry, you have to plan when you're going to get hungry, mm-hmm. basically two hours in advance. Eey. That's a lot. That's right? a lot, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the kids were staying at Pop Century. Then the problem with that is by the time they got back to Pop Century, there were limited things that they could eat. All right, so they ended up going to McDonald's. Okay. So that's not quite where that needs to be yet. Um, mm-hmm. Also, they uh, uh, the one night that they did Epcot Forever, they took uh, they wanted to take this. They love the Skyliner, by the way. Mm-hmm. Wanted to take the Skyliner back to Pop, 
the line for the Skyliner after mm. Epcot Forever went back to Stormalong Beach in between the Yacht Club and the Beach Club. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that that's, that was the best choice. They should have taken a bus at that point. Mm. But again, they're 20. They can do this. They can wait. It's fine. And it was free. So they can, mm-hmm. they're not going to Even prepare. better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was free to them. It wasn't free to me. Let me just, mm-hmm. let me just reiterate that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that sort of was the hassle, their tickets never worked right. Mm-hmm. There were three rooms. So mm-hmm. uh, three groups of two kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of them had their own room. Each of them had their own package. Each of them had a three-day park hopper and then um, a, another separate ticket. And... There was not a single day where those three-day park hoppers worked. Before they came in, for some reason, I could not get uh, – You know, I tried to make park reservations for them each day, mm-hmm. and the tickets didn't link right. So even before they got there, mm-hmm. I had already made two phone calls that took two hours with MDE to try mm-hmm. and get the very basics, like this ticket is linked to this person so I can make a park reservation. And that that ended up not working. So over the, over the course of – three park visits, three days. Mm-hmm. I ended up on four phone calls that took almost three hours, two separate visits to guest relations, two people fixing it at the tap styles. And even then mm-hmm. there was one night where the kids wanted to go see happily ever after the magic kingdom. And one of the kids tickets didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I was, I didn't go. So I was, but I was on, they had the, the, the tap style cast members sent one of the kids to guest relations to fix it. Mm-hmm. I actually had to send a picture of this kid's package receipt from Walt Disney Travel Company on the phone to, uh, his name is Philippe, to Philippe. So he could show the mm-hmm. guest relations person, yes, I have a ticket. And finally, and, and all on speakerphone, like trying to explain what's going on. Finally, the cast member said, this was like at 845 and the fireworks were at 915. The cast mm-hmm. member's like, look, I, I'm not going to be able to fix this in half an hour. I believe you. I'm just going to let him into the park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great, but you know, like if this was a 10 day trip, I would have asked for money back. Like I was not going to go through this every day. It was amazing. Wow. How every single day there was a problem with the ticket. And I think in mm. the end, if you complain enough, guest relations will just, or the, the tap style people will just let you in. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like I, I had to, I was carrying around PDFs of mm. the receipts in anticipation of there being a problem. Like this is not great. And when you think about, how much time and effort Disney has put into all of this technology, and we are we are years into these systems at this point. And it's been it's been ten years. Yeah, every kid had the same ticket. Mm-hmm. There were three packages, and it was different kids that were having problems each day. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like the same kid had a problem every day. Like what's going on here? I don't mm-hmm. know. It was it was very very frustrating. And the the reason why I had to do the initial calls mm-hmm. was so that we could do seven a.m. Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. morning groups, which we ended up getting, but. Mm-hmm. I spent two hours on the phone just to try to be able to get in line for another ride. That's just, that's too much hassle, dude. That's just, that's just not great. And there is a narrative out there now of, you know, the people talking about the, the hours that they are spending on the phone to guest relations, you know, trying to resolve. It's things. a lot. Like I said, if, if, if this, if I had had another day or so, I would, I would have gone to guest relations and started asking for money back. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And I can't, I can't spend three hours on the phone. Plus the time in guest relations, plus the time. No. It's just, it's, it's all too much. No, I agree. So the interesting thing is uh, um, I've already got one survey from Disney mm. on, the, uh, on the, and I mentioned, you know, the ticket problems and that it was, it was a hassle. But the interesting thing, and I haven't seen this question before, mm. towards the end, when they ask you like, 
you know, you've answered all of our basic questions. Do you want to keep going? If you say yes, one of the questions that you get is this, how much do you spend on vacations per year? And that's interesting because the U.S. Department of Transportation does an annual travel survey. And one of the questions there is, or one of the, the pieces of data that they give is how much Americans spend by um, household income quintile. So, you know, the bottom 20% of Americans spend this much money on average on vacation, the next 20%, 20% spend this much and so on up to the top. So we know what those are, but we don't know for Disney. So, but we do have a general idea from Disney because of how they broke down the segments. So the segments were basically, I don't spend more than $2,000. I spend between $2,000 and whatever, but the, uh, the segments were five to 10,000, 10 to 15,000, 15 to 20,000 or $20,000 or more on vacation. And let me just say that puts, uh, the, if you've answered more than $5,000, that mm-hmm. puts you like in the top 10% of American, uh, American households by spending. But if you spend more than $20,000, you're probably in the top 1%. Mm-hmm. Super. Oh. I would love to get the answers to that question right there. Yeah. yeah amazing. That would, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, overall great trip. Kids had super fun. Mm-hmm. They ended up not using Magical Express, mm-hmm. so I didn't get a chance to uh, to try that. But uh, one of the kids mm-hmm. uh, called me the day before they're coming in, and they mm-hmm. said, you know, it's like you know, trying to coordinate who I'm picking mm-hmm. up and when and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Because if we needed to use Magical Express, we're doing it. And they said, well, you know, I'm getting in at 5.30 p.m. on the first day. I'm like, okay, you know, Hannah's flight gets in at 5, so just, you know, wait, you know, just wait for Hannah and I'll, I'll pick everybody up at once. What airline are you flying in? Mm-hmm. So well, I'm flying Spirit. I'm like, I don't think Spirit flies to Orlando. Spirit flies to Sanford. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, yeah, I saved $20 by flying into Sanford. I'm like, sweetie, do you know how much an Uber is <laughs> from Sanford <laughs> to Walt Aww. Disney World? I was like, you're going to spend like $300 on that. So anyway, so I ended up um, getting a town car service for because I couldn't be in two places at once and the Uber was just going to be super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that. so that was, um, yeah. So I think uh, I think between now and the end of the year, I'm going to have to start reviewing town car services for both Sanford and Orlando just because when Magical Express goes away, it's going to be an option for a lot of people. I agree. I agree. And the kids did enjoy it though. So that was, uh, so that was something. Okay. All right, Jim, let's do some uh, listener questions. Here's the first one from Christy who says, do you have any idea if or when the parking lot trams will be in operation again? Or is Disney just hoping that we'll forget about it? Also, I'm curious about package pickup. Do you think it will return in any form? Some of these helpful services make a very positive impact on guests. And I've been missing a lot of those smaller things that make Disney so magical. So my guess is both of them will be back before the end of the year. With all of the resorts opening up by the end of the year, the number of people who can't make the walk from their car to the entrance will increase and Disney's going to need to start operating trams. Also, we're getting more mentions of this mm-hmm. in our reader surveys too. So I'm guessing Disney's seeing this, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that trams aren't uh, running. I actually got one from a reader who said that they were walking somewhere between an extra one and two miles a day when they were parking, because if you park up, you have to, you have to park twice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're you know, between, where they parked and the number of parks they visited in a day, they were walking an extra one to two miles, which you tend to walk, you know, seven to 15 miles anyway, but an extra one to two when it's difficult to walk is a lot. Yeah. But again, this is a staff thing. It's staffing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, um, the package pickup thing might've been related to cast members not being allowed to touch your stuff. Yeah. 
Because yeah. remember, cast members uh, during the um, from the time the, of reopening until very very recently, like in the last mm-hmm. week, cast members were not allowed to hold your own phone because of uh, yeah. threat of germs. And I think that maybe it was something to do that. It's probably staffing, but you know the germ thing is probably a good excuse. That's what I heard early on. And yeah. interestingly enough, that was supposedly one of the factors also going into the Magical Express yeah. step back. It's just like, you know, you have to touch your bag. It's like, nope, nope, don't want to do that anymore. Exactly. All right, here's a question from Jason. He says, my family is planning a trip to Walt Disney World for late April 2022, and I have a question regarding hotels. My wife is currently expecting our third child at the end of January. Muscle tough. Mm-hmm. So this will be our first trip as a family of five. We'll also have our four-year-old son, two-year-old daughter, and the three-month-old. My wife was thinking about a family suite at Art of Animation for the space. And since my son is a big fan of all things cars, especially after having seen the resort when we stayed at Pop Century. I don't disagree, but I was trying to see if there were any alternatives to Art of Animation. We did enjoy Skyliner access, and I wasn't sure about how spacious a standard fifth sleeper room would be at Caribbean Beach in the Aruba section, given that they're seven, several hundred dollars per night cheaper. Mm-hmm. That way we could still take advantage of the Skyliner and the food and beverage options through a walk to the Riviera. The only downside that I could think of other than the room space would be the bus transportation in the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom from Caribbean Beach. A dark horse option for me would be a suite at the new Swan Reserve. Price-wise, it would be comparable to Art of Animation, plus the general location is better by Crescent Lake, and have gold status with Marriott Bonvoy. With Magical Express going away in 2022, I can't think of a downside here versus Disney Resort. All right, so I did some math on this. So first things first, a Cars Suite at Art of Animation in late April 2022 is $2,945 all in. It's around 565 square feet. It comes with a Skyliner. More importantly, Jason, two bathrooms. And I think, Jim, this is the thing that people forget about with uh, oftentimes with Car Suite. It's not just that it's got a separate bedroom and it's bigger. The two bathroom thing, oh, yeah. especially yeah. with five people yep. is a big deal. Particularly when you're trying to get out the door in the morning, you know, to get to the parks. Um, and everyone would have their own bed. You could fit a, uh, you could have a, uh, so there's a sleeper sofa, there's a pull down bed. Um, everyone would have their own um, bed. Don't forget when you're pricing out the Swan Reserve, Jason has a resort fee that works out to be with tax just over $37 per day. So you got to factor that into the cost. I calculated it as $3,026, so within 100 bucks of the art of animation, basically the same. 610 square feet, so a little bit bigger than a car suite, two queen beds, a sofa bed, plus a crib, so everyone gets their own bed as well. The thing is, you have the one bathroom, yep. but you would have a walk to Epcot in the studio. So here's my thing. If, you, if you've got Marriott Bonvoy points, and you can pay for most of that stay with points instead of cash, I would walk to Epcot in the studios instead of Skyline for a couple thousand dollars, wouldn't you? I think so. And and especially given what you just described about the night when the kids wanted to take the Skyliner home and get you know, the line. That's exactly it. Was, that's why that's why yeah. I included the, uh, uh, the the discussion of the Skyliner for this particular question. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no. So I think there's, there's that too. Caribbean Beach is an option. It's much cheaper. So $1,676 in late April. So just a little more than half the cost of the Swan Reserve or the Art of Animation. 314 square feet. So it's about half the size of the Swan Reserve. Two queen beds and a crib. So the older kids will have to share a bed. You know, it's definitely cheaper. But again, if you've got Marriott Bonvoy points, I think Swan Reserve is better. Also, Jason, I am obligated to tell you that there's five of you. And so that works out to around 63 square feet per person. And as listeners of our show know, 
they give you 60 square feet per person in prison, Jason. So this isn't much more than that. And you don't want your kids picking up extra skills like, you know, how to turn a toothbrush into a shiv. Exactly. (laughs) If you see your kids, you know, melting the end of their toothbrushes on the iron that comes in the room to make a shiv. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not. So, you know, my first choice would be, I, I think my first choice would probably be the Swan Reserve, even though the hotel isn't open and doesn't open until, what, September 1st? Mm-hmm. So we haven't even stayed there. But I think Swan Reserve, if you can get points, like if you could pay for it with points, I think that's the the way to go. Um, and then after that, I think uh, I would go Art of Animation just for the second bathroom, assuming that money's not an object. But there's nothing wrong with Kirby Beach. It's just the it's just it's a much smaller room. You've got the one bathroom, and you know the fact is that when the kids want to go to bed, everyone has to go to bed. Very true. Very true. Yeah, that would be my uh, thing. By the way, Jim, I think one of the remember when um, we were talking about Disneyland annual passes, and there's a mention that Disney's going to institute some sort of loyalty program. Yeah. Do you think that's to combat the exact discussion we just have about Marriott Bonvoy points and why you should stay at a Marriott or, you know, Hilton or whatever instead of Disney because it's cheaper with points? Hmm. Do you think that Disney's starting to recognize that, that it people who are staying offsite are using points? When we're talking about the Disneyland Resort, we are talking about three hotels versus 30 onsite hotels for Walt yeah. Disney World. Yeah. My understanding is the loyalty program is leaning more toward the parks, but I would honestly be surprised if there wasn't some sort of component that could then turn into, you'll get a better rate of staying at the Disneyland Hotel or uh, Paradise Pier or, for that matter, Grand uh, Californian. I will say that for um, for the unofficial guide for Walt Disney World, the vast majority, something like 85, 86% of our readers stay on Mm -hmm. site. But those who don't divide it into two camps, people who own a timeshare somewhere else and people who are staying on points somewhere else. So Disney's already sort of got their feet in the timeshare market. Mm-hmm. But if the next largest segment of people that they haven't captured are those who are earning loyalty points somewhere else and are staying offsite because of that. Like there are very few people who, who are buying a guidebook who are staying at a value resort or you know, at a motel on, on 192. Those two markets don't overlap. It makes me think that Disney is looking at the number of people who are staying on points elsewhere and saying, you know, if we did this, we could capture some of that business back. That's my thought. It, intriguing idea. It'll, it'll be interesting to see when this loyalty program comes up out of the ground, you know, where that gets addressed. All right. Here's a question from Greg who says, I finished up this week's Disney Dish episode where you and Jim gave your take on both the contemporary renovations and the exclusive after hours for deluxe guests. It sure seems like either the Disney execs have have lost their way or their backbones. The Grand Floridian, Polynesian, and Contemporary are IP in their own right. They don't need strong character overlays. In fact, strong character overlays diminish the IP value of each of these hotels by making them just another character that happens to be in a hotel. For, as far as the Contemporary as a TWA hotel goes, yes, swap the monorail highway in the sky for the plane motif and you have your theme. There's a monorail going through the middle of the building for crying out loud, and that's what a mid-century modern future looks like. Look at the top of the world lounge styling and use that as inspiration for updating the wave. If they need a new monosyllabic name, how about the beam? And I must point out, Greg, that it would be the beam steaks, seafood, and pasta because Disney puts the entire menu in the restaurant name now. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, Greg goes on to say, this isn't a screed by any stretch. Mm-hmm. My home resort is Bay Lake Tower, so I'm going back no matter what. This mm-hmm. is only an observation of a missed opportunity by Disney to really differentiate their hotels and make a statement to their guests. What they're doing is akin to wearing khaki pants to a suburban barbecue, which is forgettable. 
Given the cycle for how long it takes to refresh hard and soft fixtures, Disney is going to be stuck with mediocrity for a long time to come. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was chatting with a longtime Imagineer. Brought up the point that in years previous, the consumer products aspect of Disney was always the last part of the equation. First, you made the movie. Yeah. Then at the end, okay, and how do we sell this or how do we sell things based on this? Lately, the IP sort of getting shoehorned into hotel, you know, we were talking about the Mary Poppins return theme for the, the new restaurant over at, or excuse me, the retheming of the uh, oh, Citrico's over at the Great Floridian. Yeah. yeah. Likewise, the Beauty and the Beast library lounge space over there. It kind of seems we are in that country now where it's just sort of like, how do we sell this? Are you a Beauty and the Beast fan? Oh, well, you have to go to this lounge. Or are you a Mary Poppins fan? Oh, you have to go to this restaurant. I just wonder where we go from here. I mean, more IP. And I think some of this stuff doesn't doesn't fit in. Like, again, Beauty and the Beast Lounge in the Grand Floridian, as those two things have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last listener question for the week. This one's from Adam. Says, a couple of weeks ago, you jokingly mentioned one of Jim's sayings that you were looking to put on a T-shirt. That was literally over the past several months as I listen to the podcast. I've been compiling a list on my phone of certain words and phrases that we use repeatedly in hopes of creating a special Disney dish drinking game. Coffee, of course, because it's a family show. So I challenge listeners to every time they hear one of these words or phrases, take a swig of your favorite caffeinated beverage. And those phrases are more to the point. The interesting thing is, that's it exactly, Len. Rides, shows, and attractions. (laughs) A mention of diabetes. (laughs) There you go. You can send those checks or letters to Len Testa. Speaking of that, this is the thing. Literally, and our buddy, BioReconstruct. And finally, to understand some recent ride show or attraction, you have to go back to any date before 1950. <laughs> I feel seen, Jim, you. I, you know, this is, what can I tell you? I'm a cliche with feet, okay? I am 62. I am, I'm an old dog. Learning new tricks is not an option at this point, so... I love to understand, you know, brackets, some ride show or attraction. You have to go back to any date before 1950. <laughs> I steal from the best. James Michener. All right, let, let's talk about Texas. First, dinosaurs, because the oil's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> that was just great. All right, folks, when we come back, Jim's going to give us the history of the Disneyland floral Mickey over in Disneyland. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I mentioned at the first half of the show, I took a bunch of kids to Walt Disney World this past week. And of course, the first thing we did, we got the Magic Kingdom. 
put all the kids in front of the Mickey Mouse floral arrangement by the train station in Walt Disney World to take their picture. And we had to wait a little bit to do that because there were a number of other families doing exactly the same thing. And that's the thing of our iPhone, no pics, it didn't happen world. But this has been going back decades. In fact, the stat's a little old here. This dates back to Disneyland's 30th anniversary in 1985. But at that time, the floral Mickey out in front of the Main Street train station was one of the most photographed things in the world. Only the Taj Mahal and the Eiffel Tower supposedly have more pictures taken of it annually. Wow. Which explains why the horticulture and resort enhancement staff are crazy fixated on making sure that the floral Mickey at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom looks its absolute best all the time. Now, mind wow. you, that involves replanting this thing nine times a year. This work is typically done on third chip as people come through the turn cells, as you mentioned. They want to line up, get their picture right in front of there. So, you know, the notion of having a, a hardworking guy from Hurdle Culture bent over the thing, you know, who's yeah. that guy in your family photo? So every six weeks, they change up the, the flowers. But the numbers are crazy. I mean, you know, for example, if we focus just on Disneyland. They have inside the park, they have seven total acres of annual beds, and they have to reach out to local greenhouses to have a million annuals come in every year. But a tenth of, almost a tenth of those are dedicated just to refresh, refreshing and changing out uh, the Mickey floral. So 100,000 flowers in the yep. floral Mickey over the yep. course of a year. Well, now also remember, we are also talking about the, you know, off to the sides, you'll notice that they typically have the floral filigrees, the sort of the accent pieces to the side right. to frame Mickey. So yeah, you have to take those into consideration as well. If we jump back 66 years to less than six days from when Disneyland Park was supposed to open, the floral Mickey hadn't even planted yet. Oof. Which genuinely concerned Joe Fowler. He was the, the park construction administrator for Walt's Family Fun Park. So, which is why on July 11th, 1955, Joe sends a memo to Jack Evans, who, along with his brother Bill, uh, was handling a lot of Disneyland's horticultural aspects. And the memo reads, when are you going to plant Mickey Mouse in, in the entrance? It looks to me like the time is getting pretty late. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting around to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why was this part of the Disneyland project? Well, by the way, very dear to Walt's heart, as far back as 1953, which was when Disneylandia, and that was the version of the park that was going to be built on the other side of Riverside, across from the studio, in Burbank, a friend of the park still had a Mickey floral. To Walt's way of thinking, this was kind of the equivalent of well, you ever seen a, uh, one of the Technicolor Mickey Mouse shorts from the 30s where they have the pie-eyed Mickey in front of the sunburst? I have a tattoo of it, so yes. I've seen okay, it. <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah. So so that's what the thing. It's like the idea was you walk up to the park, you see that, and it's like, welcome. You're here. You're, you're going to have yeah. a good time today. Yeah. So anyway, why wasn't this part of the Disneyland project started till the very last minute? Well, a couple of reasons. Money got very, very tight toward the end of Disneyland's construction. And one of the areas that really got impacted by this ever-tightening budget was the horticultural aspects of the park. At the 10th anniversary party for Disneyland, Walt stood on stage and told the story how as the money ran out to landscape large sections of Tomorrowland, 
Bill Evans, he just made up signs and labels for the weeds that were already sure. growing up. What's Latin for kudzu? <laughs> well, no, that's it exactly. And, but that's the thing. And then he would stick this label in the ground next to the weed. Ooh. And it's just the fact like, like, it's like, oh, well, this was a choice. Children, come take a look at the unusual flower. Also, there is another reason that the floral Mickey wasn't planted in front of the main train station by July 11th. And again, remember, six days out from the television yeah. special. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And this is honestly an aspect of Disneyland history. The company isn't really comfortable with talking about, uh, tends to get played down alone. And it was about the turf war that broke out at the Disneyland construction site. The sharks and the jets? Actually, it was the Evanses and a very talented woman called Ruth Shellhorn. Okay. Forgive me, I'm about to lead into my own cliche here. To understand what happened here, we have to go back to 1949. Shout out, Adam. <laughs> there we go. Which is when Walt purchased a lot on Carrollwood Drive in the Holmby Hills uh, neighborhood of Los Angeles. This was the place where Walt built his one-eighth scale uh, Carrollwood Pacific Railway, right. included a 90-foot stretch, <laughs> a tunnel that actually went under his wife's Lily's flower beds. And because Lily actually wanted to be a good neighbor, thought mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe people looking into the backyard at the, the train running around, that's sending kind of the wrong message. She wanted this as hidden from sight as it could be. So Walt reaches out to the Evans and Reeves Nursery of West Los Angeles to come landscape the property. And he was supposedly so pleased with the work that Bill Evans and his brother Jack did that when the Disneyland project finally gets funded in 54, Walt reaches out to the Evanses again and invites him to come on down to Anaheim and turn 160 acres of what used to be orange groves and walnut trees into, well, you know, a highly themed, beautiful landscape family fun park. Problem here is that the Evanses aren't professionally trained landscapers. Bill had actually gone to Stanford in the early 20s to study engineering through a financial reversal that the Evans family experienced. That's when they end up working with the Reeves Nursery and, and eventually set up this landscaping business. And mm -hmm. they're doing quite well for themselves. They're literally the landscapers of the start. They do Greta Garbo's home, Clark Gables, Elizabeth Taylor's. But when it comes to something like Disneyland, they've never done anything of this size before. To be fair, no one has ever done a Disneyland. There before. we go. All right, fair enough. There we go. Okay. So it's one thing to build an elaborate backyard garden at a private home. Right. Disneyland is this vast commercial enterprise that thousands of people are going to enter every day. Just the regular wear and tear on the ornamental trees and the flower beds are going to yeah. be extraordinary. Yeah, people are going to walk on the grass and yeah, I mean, just yeah. a ton of stuff's going to happen. Right, okay. Walt personally likes Bill and Jack, but he recognized they're kind of in over their head. So Walt then reaches out to Walter Beckett, the architect that Disney originally consulted on when he's thinking of building Disneylandia. Okay. Now, this is the late winter, early spring of 55. We are five months out from the grand opening of Disneyland. And Walt turns <laughs> to Walter Beckett and says, do you know a landscape architect that you could recommend? Someone who has enough professional experience to handle a horticultural project of this size. Okay. Walter immediately recommends Ruth Shellhorn. She is a Los Angeles native who's gone to Oregon State's University School of Landscape Architecture. She then continues her studies at Cornell. And in the early 1950s, she's the landscape architect for a string of Bullock's shopping plazas, where she takes her knowledge of elements of park planning and, and folds those into the suburban mall. So she's done projects that are equivalent inside to Disneyland Park places where thousands of people have to come and go each day. So 
there's a ticking clock, Len. Given that it's absolutely crucial that the Jungle Cruise be surrounded by this deep, thick, authentic-looking you know, forest full of exotic plants, a command decision is made. So Ruth is going to concentrate on completing Disneyland's entrance, which includes the Floral Mickey, Main Street USA, the area around the hub, Sleeping Beauty Castle, as well as the entrance to Tomorrowland. Okay, so the entrance, Main Street, the hub... Entrance to Tomorrowland. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically the, the entrance to the park and then the right-hand side. Okay. Okay. Now the, the Evanses, they're in deep at this point working on Adventureland's Jungle Cruise. Conditionally, they also have to complete the planting of Frontierland. Okay. I mean, Adventureland is a, has a lot of plants. It's it's no small task by itself. No, no, no. Not, not at all. Frontierland it has its own set of challenges. So right. Ruth Schilhorn is a late arrival to the Disneyland project. She's a professional when it comes to the world of landscape architecture, which is why when she hands down orders in the field to the guys who are driving the bulldozers at the American Structures, she expects those orders to be followed. Right. Because grading is important for things like, you know, when it rains, you have to have the right runoff. You know, you don't want... Yeah, yeah. You've nailed it. Okay. Whereas the on-site construction team, they've been following the orders of the Evanses for, you know, eight... Let's, let's also point out that in the 1950s, a lot of men were not used to taking orders from women. No, right? and there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on. Okay. Yeah, in fact, that's a, that the name they would call Ruth behind your back was Mother Shellhorn because oh, <laughs> okay, you know, right, Mother right. Shellhorn is here. But again, yeah, this is it's a woman asking him to regrade things that they, you know, yeah. stuff that's supposed to be completed weeks earlier. Direct result, there's a certain amount of carping and complaining going on at the construction team. And initially, things weren't getting us done as fast as Shellhorn wanted. So she goes to Walt, and Walt then goes to the construction site and lowers the boom. From here on in, what what she says out in the field, you guys follow to the letter. Because this park has to open on July 17th. Date's getting closer, budget getting tighter. Ruth's follow-my-orders-precisely attitude begins to butt heads with Walt's more, far more casual attitude. I mean, Walt was the kind of guy, especially with Disneyland, where he'd be out at the site and look at where a walkway had been set up. And, oh, no. And would literally pull the stakes out of the ground and move them over to where he wanted it. Then you got to regrade around that for you know, the very thing. You know, you were mentioning about draining issues of that sort of thing. Or he'd see a tree that had been planted and see this is blocking the view of the castle, which I paid all that money for. Move that. Move this tree six feet to the left. Yeah. Yeah. And so this puts Ruth Shellhorn at odds with Walt, which Shellhorn, look, she understood. She's a professional. In the end, it's the client's wishes that need to be followed. Sure. But with so many of the decisions, especially during the final week of the construction, being made on the fly in the field. Yeah, I mean, at some point things have to be done, right? Yeah, yeah. And often she'd be concentrating on one side of the, the, the site and come back to something that had been previously nailed into place two days earlier and it's completely torn up. And what happened? Well, Walt came through. So she she has to adjust her own carefully crafted landscape plans. And that's aggravating and stressful. Yeah, that's, it's no way to work, right? When someone's following it behind you and saying, you know what? Again, at some point, the plans have to be finalized. Conversely, though, the Evanses, who have already worked with Walt on the backyard at his house, they knew exactly what to expect. 
And so they sure. are just rolling with the punches. And so it's like whatever Walt wanted the construction side, Jack and Bill did. No questions asked. All right. Mind you, Evans has missed deadlines. They spent so much time concentrating on Adventureland to make it look like the best jungle north of Costa Rica that they neglected Frontierland. Okay. Oh, okay. We're just, you know, it was the desert. Well, the, this is the thing. So uh, Ruth has to pick up the slack. So in the final 10 days of construction, she creates landscape designs for three different areas in Frontierland. She even gets down in the dirt and is helping with the planting of seedlings. And Shellhorn's very hands-on attitude even extended to the Disneyland Mickey floral. Ruth put a lot of advanced thought into the project. She put together a, a palette of bright seasonal annuals that would really make this massive mouse face pop with color. She used dwarf pink phlox for Mickey's tongue. By the time Joe Fowler's memo to Jack Evans on July 11th comes down, uh, Bill then goes over and installs the framework for Mickey's face in that he'll set on July 13th, Ruth then directs the plantings of thousands of yeah. colorful annuals in the framework to form the, the floral Mickey's face on July 15th, and two days later at the start of the live special on ABC. Yeah. Here is the establishing shot. Is the floral it Mickey? It is. It's the opening shot. It's the yeah. <laughs> and then they tilt up and, you know, here is, you know. Well, we, but imagine that a week before opening, it's like, yeah, you know, that, that opening shot that we're going to do, we got to build that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. <sighs> You have to wonder why they just didn't go with like silk flowers, like a Potemkin village, uh, just for the opening shot. But I mean, give them give them credit to to yeah. try and do the right thing and make it yeah. authentic. Yeah, things were done so close to the deadline. Things got stressful, perhaps too stressful. Two weeks after Disneyland Park opens, Jack Evans suffers a massive heart attack. He uh. he, he never returns to the field after that. He he ends up staying back at the Evans and Reeves Nursery and mostly handles paperwork from there on in. But even that. Proves too much to Jack. He, after another cardiac episode, he passes away in 1958. Ah. The fact that the horticultural aspect of the Disneyland project got so stressful toward the end wound up placed at the feet of Ruth Shellhorn. You know, one might argue that because the construction crews had been so tough on her, Ruth then felt the need to push back at them and be as tough as they were. I mean, she ended up she ended up finishing Frontierland. She got her stuff done and some other stuff? No, that's it I th exactly. I think, I think this is a, an unheralded story. We should do more on Ruth Shellhorn. I agree. In fact, I have a bio of Ruth in, in fact, I'm waiting for the UPS truck to drive up the driveway. She's a fascinating person. Also, Walt feels terrible at what happens to Jack. So he winds up throwing a lot of work Bill's way, so much so that Bill Evans would go on to design the landscape of Disney theme parks for the next half a century. Wow. Even though Bill re officially retires from the company in, in 1975, they keep calling him back to consult on every theme park they built after that. I mean, right up until Hong Kong, which opened uh, September 2005. He had been working on that park three years prior when he passed away at the age of 92. But as for Ruth Shellhorn, she wasn't invited to stay on the project. She, she moved on to other things. Wow. Shellhorn's uh, involvement in the creation of Disneyland is acknowledged in certain spots, if you know where to look. There's a Disneyland World of Flowers book, which was published in 1965 as part of that theme park's 10th centennial. In the foreword, Walt, who personally wrote this for the hardcover, said, in giving credit for the landscaping of the park, it is impossible to mention all who have uh, contributed. Uh, special plaudits are due to Ruth Patricia Shellhorn for her design of the formal Victorian plan for Main Street 
the town square, and the plaza. The trees and shrub that she selected in the spring of 1955 are still used today. Wow, nice. Which includes the floral Mickey right under the Main Street train station, which again, only got planted days before Walt's Family Fun Park first opened the public. And now it's been wow. And it's now become one of the most photographed things in the world. We should do another story on Ruth. That was uh, that was fantastic. It's just uh, it's one of the things that almost cries out for a video, you know? I know, I agree. I agree. I, I, no, I'd love to circle back on this. There's, there's the, the book that I, I just bought off of the Amazon, what's great about it is that it actually features all of these photographs of her on site dealing with these guys in these still dirt streets and half-constructed buildings about, okay, flower beds go there. Yeah. As Sam Genaway points out, the name is Disneyland Park. You know, one of the reasons we love to go to this place is the trees and the flowers and, you know, all that. And that's all on the back of the Evanses and Ruth Shellhorn. That reminds me, uh, you mentioned the park. We got stuck on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway uh, Mm -hmm. when I was with the kids. And I got to hear the breakdown spiel. Oh, for Runaway uh, Railway. And the interesting thing is, uh, so it's in the park scene, you know, at the mm-hmm. very end mm-hmm. where uh, so Mickey and Minnie are um, they're there. And uh, so Mickey says, uh, he starts singing the Mickey Mouse song. Am I see, see you're real seated. <laughs> K-E-Y. Why? Because it's safer. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. That's wow. fantastic. Oh, I'd love to have, to have seen Chris Iopoulos in the studio recording that. It was, it was fantastic. Also, uh, remember there's this rumor that there are – so there are three storylines in mm-hmm. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, right? There's the primary storyline with Mickey and Minnie trying to save the train. There's mm-hmm. the B story where it's Pluto with um, a basket of sausages. Mm-hmm. And the C story is supposedly there's a crab, like you know the one you see in the scene. Yes. Uh, a crab in every scene. Okay. So I, I haven't been able to see the crab in every scene, but on this mm-hmm. last one, I was in the very last train. Mm-hmm. And I was able to see the crab in the first scene. You know when uh, Mickey and me start going through the park? Mm-hmm. All right. They drive over a bridge, an arched bridge. And just as the last car is going past that scene, if you, you have to be like literally in the last row on the right-hand side to see it. Mm-hmm. But the crab actually runs through the arches oh. in that first scene. So if you're in the first car or the second car or the third car, you can't see it. You have to be in the last car in the last row on the right to see the crab, but the crab is a crab in every scene. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. When this attraction gets open at Disneyland, oh, yeah. I wonder if that they'll continue that. So that's yeah, fantastic. Anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including a new show on the history of Disney on ice on next week's show. Jim and I are going to talk about Disneyland Paris's new paid FastPass system and what it means for Walt Disney World and Disneyland. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be showing you how to build colorful fish mobiles from recycled plastic bottles and tie-dyed lampshades at the 2021 Evermore Midsummer Craft Bazaar, July 30th and 31st at Evermore Park in beautiful downtown Pleasant Grove, Utah. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.